Okay, well, second Torah portion of the year, Parshas Noah. Noah. Now, I think it must have been about, I think it was seven, eight years ago when Hollywood came out with a, a Noah movie. And the uh, I've been hearing about it ever since. And people like, it's kind of like the Ten Commandments with Charles Heston. How, and, you know, so, you know, uh, they got a few things right, a few things. And it's certainly a cool, a cool uh, thing to watch, but um, let's see what the rest of the story is. Okay, so it's interesting. Why would God decide? The basic storyline is God says, you know, control alt delete. The world is uh, the first two thousand years of the world are not uh, going so well. Let's scratch it and start again with eight people. That's the basic storyline. So what would... Now, Judaism is a strong proponent of there's no point in studying history if you're not going to learn from it. The main point of history is, is to get something from it. So it's no, the only reason God every year wants us to review this story is there's something we can learn from it so we don't... You know, God actually promises he's never going to do it again. So we don't have to worry about any such floods. But it's important to, to learn what caused the, what is so bad that in theory would cause God to, 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 do, do, to do, do such a thing. So it says in the Talmud that they did all kinds of things. They were immoral, um, they, uh, in every way that you could think of immorally. And they uh, were not good neighbors, and they were certainly weren't very, um, very kind. But it says very clearly that there was one thing that God could not tolerate. And it says, the world was filled with robbery. It says the robbery, it's interesting. You know, we all, we all believe that a person should not steal. But with all these bad things that were going on, it was the fact that the world was completely filled with robbery that said, God said, a world built on robbery is not going to last. So the question is, what is it about robbery that so undermines the human condition? And again, we're not talking about a few thefts here, a few thefts there. We're talking where the society supported, to some degree, stealing. So the Medrash Rava says a very interesting thing. And he says, it says in, in, in Jewish law, there's a concept. You can't bring someone to court unless they steal from you a, a minimum amount. Let's say it's $5. I'm not sure exactly what. Let's just say it's $5. It's, it's, it's $5. If you go to the court and say, uh, Jack stole $5 from me, they would say, I'm really sorry, but we don't take cases less than you know, it has to be able to at least $5. So the Medrash says, but this society would do, it was full of people stealing $4.99. They would go to a store, they would get a whole, a whole pack of friends, five or six friends, and they would go to the store and everyone would steal $4.99. And then the poor guy or, or girl would go to court and nothing would happen. 
So when God saw this type of behavior, he said, you know what? That type of behavior shows that you, you know, sometimes a person could steal. We all, I don't think we all do like real thievery, but we all sometimes, you know, in, in, the, in the general sense, steal. Like we could, we could take something that, we could take someone's, uh, you know, someone's time away. We could take someone's attention away. Essentially, what it means is I'm not, I'm thinking about myself more than I'm thinking about you. But what they did in those days, it wasn't like I'm thinking about myself more than I'm thinking of you. And I just like, my, my, my temptation got to me. It was a thought out. It was a, it, it was a predicated, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a system of beliefs. It's one thing if a person makes a mistake. We all make mistakes. But what's a problem is when you have a, a, a belief system that says something's okay. That's much, much worse. That's actually why they say that gossiping, talking not nice about other people, is considered one of the worst sins. They say it's almost worse than murder. Why? Because when a person makes a big, big mistake, we all have, have uh, family and friends and people that we have relationships with, and sometimes we make mistakes. And usually if it's a big one, we don't do it again. The things that we don't, we often repeat are the things that aren't so big. And that's kind of what, what was prevalent in those days was these, no one, everyone uh, didn't care about these kind of little things that undermined other, other people's respect. And that's one thing that we can walk away um, from, uh, from the, uh, the story of, of Noah with. Now, my people, this is definitely not in the movie. Mo, Noah was a young man of about 480 at the time when God comes and says, Noah, now, I don't think, I don't know if it's politically correct to, to reference a, uh, a certain comedian who had a whole skit about Noah and the flood, but uh, you can Google that. But um, I don't, I don't know if I can say it anymore. I know it's not in, in, in the news, but Noah, God came to Noah. And he was said, Noah, you're a young man, 480 years old, and I would like you to build an ark. Noah says, no problem. I got three sons. We'll have it up in a week. He says, Noah, the flood's coming in 120 years. Noah's like, I don't need 120 years. God said, make it take 120 years. So basically, he put like one board on a day. The Talmud says, what, what was the point of this? The point was to get people's attention. If Noah would go and, you know, go on Facebook and make posts and WhatsApp and Instagram and say, there is a flood coming because you're all a bunch of bozos, no one's going to listen. What God's idea was, build this ark. People will walk by. They'll ask, hey, Noah, what's up? And he'll say, you guys got to straighten out. So for 120 years, this is what happened. That's incredible. Now, why did God do it this way? Says that if you want to, to give someone a message, you got to arouse their interests. Now, I could tell you as a rabbi who's trying to get people interested at, 
in the beauty of Judaism, that is a thousand percent of what I have to be thinking about, right? If I'm in a relationship and I want someone, let's say, to act differently, right? I have to, sh- I have to uh, show them a reason why they'll be interested in doing that. So classic, I'm certainly no marriage counselor, but classic advice is that the best way to get someone to do something for you is to start treating them appropriately. Then they'll see, they'll, wow, they'll say, this is something I want. And then they'll, they'll know reciprocating kind. So in general, we want to, when we want, a lot of times we, we do the opposite. We want to get someone's attention. We figuratively bonk them on the head, right? Sometimes we don't bonk them on the head, but we, we get annoying. We get, you know, right? But really we learned from God that God wanted to get their attention and he took 120 years, which means also we got to be patient. Sometimes a person, uh, we all do this. We want something, want it now. And most good things come uh, to those who wait. I'll tell you a story. Um, you know, my, my, I'm on my third career, hopefully my last career, lasts for a long time. But uh, I did marketing and development for a while. And I still do it, but now it's kind of auxiliary to what I do. And I was calling a particular person um, who I thought would be very helpful for something. And I called this person once a month for two years. And I left the same exact message every time. This is, this is about 18 years ago. So it wasn't like somewhat social media. So I called and I said, hi, I'm Tully Carr from such and such organization. I'd like to talk to you. And finally, after two years, this person picks up. And he says, I've gotten every one of your messages. What do you want? <laughs> and I got, actually, I got what I wanted. So, so it was pretty, that's the whole rest of the story, how I got what I wanted. But, but that was a nice situation where, thank God I had the patience. Because it actually was my most, with God's help, was my most successful endeavor with that organization. Okay, moving along here. So Noah's getting ready for this. He's going to be in this ark for one year with every animal on the planet. Lions and tigers and bears and giraffes and two of each. Two of each not kosher animal and seven of each kosher animal. And no windows. No windows. And nowhere to buy food. No Amazon. No nothing. So what does God tell Noah to do? Make sure you pack enough food. How is that possible? I don't know. But he says an interesting thing. He says, and this is not when you re- have to believe that the Bible was written with laser precision. Like when you and I write text and emails and anything, we don't write with laser precision. God does not write any extra words. What does he write? It says, Noah should get food to eat. Now, what else is he going to use the food for? So a great rabbi, Rabbi Wasserman, who unfortunately passed away in the, in the Holocaust, he says that, you know, why else would he pack food? Because no one knew the world was going to get destroyed. And maybe he would pack a lot of, you know, vegetation of things he'd want to replant when the world started again. And that, God said no. He says, you, the, when the whole world is in pain and people are dying and animals are dying and the world is falling apart, you need to take, you need to survive. 
Yes, you're entitled to survive. You should survive. But you need to feel the pain of people out there. Just because God decided that, you know, the world should not exist any longer as it was. But my job is to feel the pain. I remember when Corona first started, um, I don't know, almost two years ago. Um, you know, it was early winter. Well, it was March, March. So about a year and a year and a half ago. I remember calling one of the rabbis that I consult a lot in New York, and I asked him a particular question. Uh, it was a Jewish law question. And he said, you know what? From a law perspective, what, you, what you're asking me is 100% permissible. It's allowed. It's fine. You're not, no, no, no. But it's not really appropriate to do when you know there's so many people in pain out there. Because thank God I was healthy Everyone who I knew was healthy at the time, but certainly, you know, there are many people in many places. Certainly, I was talking to him. He was a rabbi in Brooklyn in the Jewish community. Hundreds of people passed away. Um, and um, so he said this idea of that, and this is a very, very Jewish, I'm not saying it's exclusively Jewish, but it's certainly a very Jewish idea that you got to be able to feel people's pain. And that's a sign of who you are. A person can't uh, feel pain of others, then it says something about about who they are. Um, we shouldn't get depressed about it. So it's a lifelong endeavor. But that's something which we learned from here. That no, and actually, this uh, this is an adult crowd. Uh, Rashi says the famous Rashi commentator says that no one was allowed to have um, um, intimate relations during the whole time of the flood. It was considered inappropriate. Uh, uh, at that time. Okay, moving along here. So the end of the flood, Noah hears the rain stop, and he actually, the ark gets stuck on top of a mountain. Now, there's a lot of water out there. Just because it stops raining doesn't mean the rain's gone. So what does Noah do? He takes a bird, and he sends a dove out. The dove circles around, comes back, and basically, Noah realized that there's nowhere for the, for the bird to land. There's just water. So, But he noticed that the bird didn't want to come back in. And the commentator, the Nitziv, says the bird didn't want to come back in because it was embarrassed that it didn't do a good job. It was supposed to go out and find land, and it couldn't find land. So what does the verse say Noah did? It says Noah sent his hand out of the ark and pulls the dove in. And that's a sensitivity, a very high level of sensitivity, where sometimes people not, you know, when we say, well, you know, no one, the person didn't tell me that they mind. You know, if you, you know, it's, it's, it's a common thing we all say. We say, um, well, if you need something, let me know, which is a good thing to say. But that doesn't exempt us from, from thinking proactively and thinking, oh, what does that person need? Or what does that person not need? Like in this case, in this case, Noah, Noah realized that the the dove was a little, uh, you know, needed a, a pulling in, and uh, I'm sure we've all had that at times when we were uncomfortable in a setting or somewhere, and you had that nice person who went and just came over and made you feel comfortable, or even in in our relationships that we have all the time. You know, sometimes you can have a situation with a a family member or a friend 
where, you know, they really have something to say, but they're uncomfortable to say it. And you can really make their life a lot easier if you just kind of say something. So, um, so that's another lesson that we have from, 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 from Noah. And again, like I said, I said, uh, I said last week in the introduction to this, this series that my goal this year is I want in every Torah portion to bring out lessons of love, love thy neighbor. Because that, as we said last week, there's a story. There was a young Jewish man who uh, a, a Christian missionary came over to him. And he said, you know, why don't you become Christian? And he says, well, I'm fine with my own religion. He's like, what do you have? It's like, well, we have the Ten Commandments. Missionary says, well, what's good the Ten Commandments? What does it say? Don't kill, don't steal. That's written for the mafia. That's not a religion for high-level level, level individuals. Well, the Jew says, well, what do you got in Christianity? And he says, well, it says in, in, in Christianity professes love thy neighbor. And then he said, okay, I got to become Christian. And then he found out later, of course, that Judaism, Judaism is the actually uh, the originator of that one, as, with, as is many, uh, many things. So I wanted this year to try to focus on each Torah portion where in every story there's many, many uh, clear directives and lessons about how to, uh, to uh, love other people and, and treat them appropriately. Still a couple more. So there's an interesting story. It's called the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, actually, you know, there's, there's the, uh, the jargon. People say the word, you know, someone's babbling away. So babbling away actually comes from this story. Because what happened in the Tower of Babel was, believe it or not, it's a pretty, pretty bad story. The people at the time wanted to wage war with God. And they had this idea if they build the tower to the heavens, they could fight with God. Wasn't a very good, very good uh, idea, but they did it. And part of their belief system was they did not want, they, they wanted to stop exploration. They wanted everyone to be the same. Everyone talked the same language. And we're all going to be in this place in, in, in Babel. Babel. And what happened was the way God uh, derailed the plan was you have these people building this huge tower. You can imagine in primitive ways, you know, even today construction can be very uh, not safe. And what he did was he, he made supernaturally, he, he turned everyone from speaking one language into 70 languages. So people couldn't understand each other. So they started babbling. They thought each other were just babbling. They couldn't understand. And that lack of unity derailed the whole project. And the famous rabbi, Rabbi Shmulevitz from Israel, says that we learn from here, this is not what God wants. God does not want everyone to be the same. He does not want us all to be the same geographically. He doesn't want us to be the same fundamentally. He wants his the, the, the good ideals and good living to be spread throughout the whole world. And that means there's lots of different types of people. Judaism didn't start until there were 12 tribes. It, you know, Abraham got it started with Sarah and then Rebecca and Isaac, but it wasn't until Jacob and, and Leah and, and Rachel 
together with their family had 12 that we needed that diversity that, that diversity of, of personality diversity of interest and diversity even geographically and so Judaism is not meant for an ivory tower um, it's meant to be spread as far as it can and there's no type of person or who who it's not for again we're not into proselytizing it but certainly anyone who wants it, um, our job is to make it as accessible and available as possible. We don't proselytize because people have to do things because they want to do it. Um, sometimes th th there's a misconception that Judaism um, is not into, in, into, into conversion. And when one, anyone does any research on it, sees the farthest thing from the truth. It says how much respect and love we have for people who choose to convert into Judaism and and um, it, the only reason why sometimes the process could not be like a two-second process is because we want people to be making um, you know sound decisions and doing what they want to do because they want to do it um, not because anyone else is forcing them or they don't have good Maryland, you want some blueberry so, cobbler uh, or Chris? Oh, that would be great. Okay, scotch is outside. Okay. Okay. So, um, so that's um, that's a really special thing. I'll, I'll you know that that uh, we really once in a while. You know, that's sort of what I do. I I try to share the beauty of of Judaism, and uh, when people see that's what it's about. It's about sharing something that 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 we think that that is beautiful. It's not about um, you know telling someone else what to do. Uh, it's about someone seeing something and then making a choice if it's something that they uh, are interested in engaging in. Um, yeah. Okay. Two more short points, then we'll do a quick wrap up, and then it's getting late. So, um, so we have this Tower of Babel. They, they they now they're trying to build a tower to the heavens. The Torah says. That God went down to look. Now, the great commentator Rashi says, God doesn't, first of all, God doesn't have to go down to look. He knows. He knows. He doesn't have to go down. He's everywhere. He, she's not a he or she. It's just like God. So why is the Torah waste the whole verse and say God went down to look? So Rashi shares with us that this was, God, of course, knew. He didn't have to look. But it was, he was uh, modeling for us proper behavior before you take action. When a person has to make a decision, whether you're a real judge or, or we're in our private lives, when we have to make assessments and judgments and we have to react, we have to go down and look. We have to look into it. A lot of times our first reaction is not accurate. A lot of times there's information that we're, that we're missing. I'm sure we all could think of situations where we wish we would have looked into something a little more, waited a little longer before we reacted, and then sometimes things are said or things that are done that are very hard to undo. And that's what God is saying. Is God is saying to, 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 to go down and look before you make any sort of, of, of judgment. Now, sometimes you're going to have to make, we're all making judgments. The problem is when you judge unfairly. Um, it's actually good to judge. You know, if we don't judge, that means we don't have any values, right? We have to be able to make decisions. It means to judge unfairly or to judge without humility. 
right? But I, I should be assessing a situation. If is this situation safe for me? Is this situation appropriate for me? Uh, right? We, so we're all making judgments all the time. The question is, are we making fair and humble um, the decisions? So the end of the story, Noah comes out of the, the, the ark. What's the first thing he does infamously? He gets drunk. Not on purpose, but he does get drunk. It was a long year. It's a long year. And unfortunately, so he goes to sleep and infamously his second son, Chum, which all the uh, English translations have to translate as ham because Chum is ham. But I don't, anyway, and he, he, I don't think he ate ham because they, human beings were not allowed to eat animals until after the flood. Um, everyone was vegetarian. Everyone was vegetarian. I think maybe everyone even was vegan. For the first two thousand years of the world, no one ate um, anything living. It's a new thing after the uh, after the flood. That's an interesting conversation. So um, that means one third of, of of humans in history, proportionally, were, were vegetarians. Um, so, in any event. So what happened was, he's drunk, he falls asleep. Now he falls asleep, um, we'll say this as appropriate as possible, he fell asleep without any clothes on. So his second son, Chum, kind of, there's two opinions. Some say he kind of like, like drew, drew it to people's attention, kind of like disrespected his father. And other commentators say that he castrated his father. Either way, it was not good. And it was not good that he was there, you know, not uh, taking care of himself. So this Torah says that his oldest son, Shame, picked up a blanket and said to his youngest brother, Yephes, the third brother, says, you know what, let's take this blanket and cover up our father. And that's what they did. And they rewarded, um, the Torah says, all kinds of rewards they got. But it's interesting because it says that he picked up the blanket, and they put it on. Well, they probably both picked up the blanket if they're putting it on. Sounds like a little detail, but again, everything in the Torah, these little details are meant to, to extract some idea. And the commentators say that what it's coming to teach is that um, the older brother, he took initiative. And sometimes the small little things separate you know what a great person is you know you can have 10 people who do the same thing but one person got the ball rolling you know you know and or we have you know you know it's it's these small things in life that sometimes you don't even notice the the difference but there could be a world of a difference you know if let's say the first person to be nice to someone the first person to be kind to someone the person Maybe the last person to be kind because everyone else is sick of being kind and you continue to be kind. So these kind of quote-unquote trivial ideas are not so trivial. And certainly we know in business world, we know that the, the, what separates often very successful companies is the attention to details. And that's certainly true in relationships and everything alike. So as a quick review, there's some ideas that we pulled out here. The first one was that the idea that shot the world was 
robbery. And the essence of robbery is think, not thinking about the other person, not thinking about how my actions will affect someone else. We talked about if you want to get someone's attention, you got to get their attention. Uh, you can't expect to get it by bonking them on the head. You have to show them how maybe this is, some, this is something that they might be interested in. We talked about how when others are in pain, we got to feel it. Talked about from the Nitziv that, um, that when you see someone's uncomfortable, try to put them out of their misery and, you know, do what Noah did and pulled the dove back into the ark. We have the famous rabbi from Israel, Rabbi Chaim Shmulevich, says that the, the, one of the big problems that the Tower of Babel community had was that they wanted things to just be one and everyone the same and no spreading. And we certainly are into spreading. I don't think we spread the gospel, but we spread, we spread the Torah. Um, then we said that and when you make a decision, you got to do what God did. God went down and looked. And lastly, we said that don't don't underestimate those little little actions and little thoughts that we do. Uh, people notice. Um, I'll end off with a story. One of my favorite stories. Again, this could happen to anyone. I happen to know about the story because it was me. Um, must be about probably about eighteen years ago so i was in a particular synagogue and every morning there was a man who i knew lived alone didn't really have any friends i don't think really had much family um and i would every day after morning services i would say good morning good morning that was it um and one day after services he says naftali you know i gotta talk to you for a minute so i said you know i'm really in a rush to go to work but if it's quick Pulls me over and he says, you know, I just inherited a bunch of money from a lost uncle. You, you say good morning to me every morning. Here's $5,000. And I learned so much from that story. First of all, I was like, wow. I didn't even, I wasn't saying, I just was saying good morning every day. It also showed that probably no one else was doing it if it made such an impression. And lastly, if I would have realized that he was about to give me $5,000 when he said to me, do you have a minute? I probably would have said it much nicer instead of saying, you know, I'm really in a rush. I got to go. I would have said, yeah, sure. You know, no problem. <laughs> right. So, you know, we got to, you know, uh, a lot of times when people ask us for that minute, they probably need that minute. It uh, doesn't mean we always have to be available. We have, you know, we can't be doormats. We got to do what we can. But that's uh, so that's uh, some of the uh, lessons we can learn from this week's Torah portion of a, a great Shabbos. Thanks for coming on wherever you're listening to this. And uh, we'll see you around. I have a question. 